on this day, I have to be mentally on, physically on, like emotionally on, everything has to like fall into place. I have to execute to near perfection. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Training Edge podcast. This is Isaiah Newkirk and thanks for tuning in. These are pretty crazy times right now and continuing to grow this podcast has been a huge outlet for me. I hope that this is also giving you all some good inspiration and positive thoughts to focus on when it's hard to not just fill each day with negatives. So far, I've been able to have some pretty amazing conversations and I'm super motivated to keep that going. For everyone that has reached out so far with feedback and suggestions, I appreciate that so, so much. And if you have not, feel free to find us on Instagram or Facebook at Training Edge Pod and let me know what you think. Also, please leave a rating review and subscribe whenever, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Today's guest is Aaron Huck. Aaron is an absolute badass and one of the top American mountain bikers. She is a multi-time American national champion, travels and does well in the World Cup circuit, has a job outside of racing, and all the while in pursuit of an Olympic spot. She has been through some pretty gnarly injuries over the past few years, and I have a huge amount of respect for how she had made it through those hard times and continued to pursue her sport. I really enjoyed this one and learned a ton about her path and how she has found her edge in the pursuit of an overarching goal. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Erin. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. um, so the reason I asked you to join me today was to chat specifically about what it's like to prepare for and target the Olympics. Um, as spectators and bystanders, we hear about athletes that are on the Olympic track or targeting the event, um, but it's hardly truly understand what that means, uh, what it means to target an event that really on, for most sports is the biggest stage, um, that is one day in four years, um, which is a pretty crazy thing to, to think about, uh, on the top level within mountain biking is the Olympics, the pinnacle. Yeah, I would say so for um, cross-country mountain biking. I think that ever since it became an Olympic sport, which I think was back in 2000, no, 96 maybe. Wow. Um, yeah, I would say that it's kind of a, a pinnacle and definitely a target for us elite mountain bike racers. Nice. Do you, so because it is once every four years, do you think of it that way? Do you try and... Or do you try and just focus on the the year ahead or the season ahead? I've approached kind of my cycling career just focusing on the year ahead um, because so much changes yeah. <laughs> uh, within four years. You know, I'm honestly, I wouldn't have expected to be where I am today. And um, so I think it's you, when it starts to get closer, you start to, focus more on it but for me it's definitely I focus more on shorter term yeah. goals so stepping back a little bit um, I'm curious when when did you decide that like, kind of like that moment where you were like I think I can I think I can go to the Olympics was there like a definitive moment where you thought about that or how did that come about 
Um, I like the first time that the Olympics even like came into my mind as a possibility was in 2012. And even then it was like a remote possibility. I remember at that time, like Georgia Gould was our top American um, and watching those Olympics, she got third at the world champs and third at the Olympics. And she was, you know, a mountain biker from Fort Collins, Colorado, somebody that I knew, somebody that I raced against and even occasionally beat. So I was like, wow, that's, it's starting to get a little bit close, but it was still kind of like pie in the sky type thing. Mm -hmm. And then in 2015, um, kind of like a big aha moment was when I was invited to participate in the Rio test event. So that was in October of 2015. They flew, I believe, four of us down to Rio to participate in what they call like a test event where they hold a race for um, Olympic potential athletes. I think there were 30 or 40 of us in total from around the world and just have us do a race on the course and kind of work out any kinks, get feedback on the course, make sure that it's safe, spectator friendly, there's good passing opportunities, test out the feed zones, etc. So when that happened in 2015, that was like the first time that I realized that holy shit, this could be something that I <laughs> could actually do. <laughs> so that's when it became a real goal for me. Wow. So that 2015, you said? Yeah. Wow. Um, is that normal practice for them to, like the Olympics, to kind of create their course and then have the riders come out and kind of critique it in that way? Um, for mountain bike, I, I mean, I think so for actually, I know that they do it for mountain bike. I believe that they do it for BMX. And I think that they do it for a few other events. Um, just to kind of dry run things. And actually this past October in 2019, we did the same thing in Tokyo. So we got to pre-ride that course in a race environment and, um, just get a taste of, of what it would be like. And it also helps racers kind of prepare. So it's like you start thinking in your mind, okay, if I were to go, what bike would I want to bring? What tires, what kind of equipment set up and stuff like that. What was your feedback from that course? What did you think? Oh man, I I was really skeptical because the first time that we were allowed on the course, they actually opened it for hiking only. Whoa. And <laughs> um, a lot of us had never actually like walked a course. Like in downhill, that's standard practice. Like they walk the course first before they ride it. But cross country, we usually just go out on our bikes. So it was interesting to, you know, walk a full lap. And the course is just super super steep steep uphill steep downhill like so steep that you're literally on your hands and knees trying to get up (laughs) these sections and we were just like there's no way there's no way that we're going to be able to make it around this if we can't even walk around it and it was actually pretty intimidating yeah and I think we were all a little bit rattled and then when we were able to do our first pre-ride the next day turns out that it's like it's a masterpiece. Like cool. you, the downhills give you just enough momentum that you can swing into the uphills and make it up them. And, um, 
the drops, you know, are really well built, so you land safely, and cool. um, the rock gardens are definitely challenging, um, but doable. Um, and I think that, you know, we had some feedback, like, related to passing opportunities and, and certain lines being opened up so that you could, um, if one rider, like, didn't make it through, you could still ride past that rider as opposed to causing a bottleneck, that type of stuff. But, right. Yeah. Wow. It was, it's a cool course. And so maybe it's like one of those things where when you look at one particular section of a route or a course and it can be just scary as all get out. But then when you kind of piece it together in different pieces and see the lead in, it makes it a lot more, uh, less scary. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's cool. That's, I wonder if they, do you know if they changed it much after you guys race it? Um, I think so. I think that they were, I mean, I don't know, but yeah. I do know that they took our feedback into consideration and, and most of the feedback was pretty common. Okay. Like a lot of people said, Hey, there needs to be more passing. Um, fortunately it wasn't super wet when we raced, but if it were wet at all, a lot of the course would be diff like unrideable cause it was so slick. Yeah. Um, so that was another piece of feedback is try and mitigate for mud if at all possible yeah yeah that, that changes a lot um, yeah okay so going back to kind of like the definitive moment um i guess even before that uh, did you ever think you would have the possibility of trying for the olympics no <laughs> <laughs> okay no i didn't um yeah it's kind of like I don't know, like when I started racing, it was definitely a hobby um, and it stayed a hobby for a while. Um, and I think like I remember one point where I was talking with one of my friends who was also a bike racer and we were debating on whether or not we wanted to go to like a bigger race and be like, I don't know, what's the point? Like, <laughs> it's not like I'm going to qualify for a World Cup. And I remember those words coming out of my mouth, like. It's not oh, like I'm going to awesome. qualify for it. And then I think it was like less than maybe two years later that I'm on the starting line of a World Cup. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was definitely a shift. And um, <laughs> it's just, I I mean, I think for me personally, I've just kind of put my head down and focused on smaller things like, oh, I want to go to this race and I want to do you know, well at this race, like national champs, for instance, and next thing I know, I'm winning national champs. So it wasn't like that was ever a specific goal. It's just that I wanted to target that and do the best that I could do. Huh. Things have shifted, though. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as they inevitably have to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think there's something to be said to, you know, looking at um, a level and kind of seeing it and seeing it slightly out of reach and being like, you know, that would be really cool to get there. I'm just going to put my head down and put in work um, and not get obsessed with getting there and then kind of seeing where your feet land in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super cool. Um, well, yeah, it kind of shows guys at limit and you just have to, yeah, see where you find. Um, I guess, all right, so this is going to be a difficult question, but I'm curious what you come up with. Why do you want to go to the Olympics? Um, yeah, that that's a very good question. And I <laughs> had, well, like, like, I had to ask myself that question, I think, 
last year or the year before actually at the end of 2018 that was when it was becoming a reality like well do i want to try and go for it or not yeah and um it's super easy to just be like well it's the olympics so of course i want to qualify but uh i feel like if you have that mindset that's setting you up for me setting me up for failure because it's really I do, it's not about like getting the Olympic ring tattoo, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's like, what does that mean? Like, why would I work so hard and put elements of my life on hold for something? And the conclusion that I came to is like, in order to qualify for the Olympics, you have to be able to perform at your very best and there's no other avenue in my life or in most people's lives i think where that is true like on this day i have to be mentally on physically on like emotionally on everything has to like fall into place i have to execute to near perfection in order to qualify or for some people that would be like a medal or, or whatever to achieve this goal. And to me, that's what it's, what it's about because I don't think in my lifetime that there will be another opportunity to, to do something like that or to prove something like that to my, myself, Hmm. like this, this one time I was able to like execute exactly how I needed to in order to make this dream a reality. So like a pursuit of perfection or um, the challenge of it, or what would you summarize that as? Um, I think more like, for me, it's like demonstrating my full potential. I like that. Yeah. That's super cool. I, I totally agree with you that I think that there aren't that many people that really get that chance Um, and, or people end up leaving their potential or kind of miss out on that chance to see what they have. Um, so yeah, I I respect you a lot for pursuing that. I think that's huge. Um, okay. So this is a little confusing and I know it's changed. Um, but for the sport of mountain biking, what are the qualifications, um, for the Olympics, um, within the U S team? And then what does it take for you to qualify for that team? Um, So it starts by the U.S. actually qualifying starting positions. So not every nation gets even to send an athlete necessarily. So I think it's somewhere in the top 20 nations can send an athlete representative. Um, And they changed it for 2020 that... A, now women and men get equal quota spots. Wow. Yeah, so that's a pretty big deal. That's super cool, yeah. But I still think the total number of quota spots was only like 36. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it's a really small number. Um, So the top two nations can send three people. Nations ranked third through eight, I believe, can send two. And then nine through... 20 whatever can send 
one representative. Wow. Yeah. Steve so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and last time in 2016, we qualified to send the maximum, which was two, two women. And this time around, um, we collectively have kind of busted our butts to earn those top three spots. Wow. That's awesome that you qualified that. How do you go about qualifying three spots? Like, how do you get to be the ranked, the top three? Um, so they, it's a process. It's actually a two-year process. What so started in 2000, in the spring of 2018, um, wow. they take the cumulative UCI points for your top three riders for 2018 all the way through like one full calendar year. So it started May, May 2018 for cycle one and it ended, cycle one ended in May 2019 and then cycle two started in May, the end of May 2019 and it was supposed to run through May of 2020. Okay. So your top three riders for each of those cycles, they take your UCI points and add them together and then that gives you your nation rank. Cool. Yeah, I don't know if that made sense, but no, no, definitely. So to get uh, UCI points, though, what do you need to do to get UCI points? Um, so the UCI um, has a calendar, which they publish, um, and race promoters. I think it's pretty similar across downhill, road, cyclocross, yeah. etc. But yep. every race promoter can sanction their race as a UCI race and there are different categories. There's HC, C1, C2, C3, and they have different level of points that are available depending on what place you finish. And then there's also stage races within mountain biking too. So you kind of go to those UCI races that have the most points available and do the best that you can do and rack rack them up <laughs> and the um are the world cup the same as hc or is that another classification as well yeah world cup is another classification and i it's the highest of all the okay. non-championship races wow wow um so within the top so you're fighting for that top three spots right and then um, what other countries are you, I'm assuming Switzerland, and then what other countries are you fighting with? And how close is that, was that battle? Um, so we were fighting with Switzerland, Netherlands, and Canada, okay. I think. Denmark yeah. was up there for a while. Um, and I, they actually put a hold on the... Um, whatever the qualification period. So okay. they stopped it as of March 3rd due to the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so as of March 3rd, we are the second ranked nation. So it's looking pretty, pretty good that we'll have the three spots that we were chasing. Do you think that they'll extend that period again to allow for that period or no? Um, it's, um, still up for debate. I know that like the UCI athlete commission, uh, Katarina Nash has reached out to ask for feedback. Um, and I think most of the athletes internationally say that it should just stay closed as of March 3rd. Interesting. Yeah. 
and the reason is that like even if racing does start to happen a lot of nations uh, federations teams are going to be impacted in different ways oh yeah and we don't want to put pressure on people to just all of a sudden start traveling and that's a financial burden it could be a health risk but if the points are available we're going to go for them so it's kind of like it's just better if the points aren't available because it makes it a little bit fairer and safer for people that need to stay home yeah yeah how does a rider from the u.s then qualify for the olympic for one of those olympic one of those three olympic spots so they are considering updating the criteria <laughs> yeah given this but <laughs> the previous criteria were pretty interesting i think there were five or six different criteria and they were ranked in order so basically you could qualify via a third tier criteria and if somebody qualified via a second tier criteria they would potentially bump you um so that was a little bit interesting but the criteria were based on last year's world championships um and then this year's first world cup which was supposed to be at the end of may in nova mesto and then an overall world cup series placement from last year so the only two criteria that were left were a win in nova mesto which was the top tier the highest tier of qualification or a finish between second and eighth place or essentially a top eight finish at that first world cup assuming that you were the top american so basically if you were top american top eight that would qualify you um so far kate courtney's the only person that has qualified and she did that by getting a top eight at world championships last year yeah so um, the ioc did announce that all qualified athletes would remain qualified okay Um, so that means that kate will still be qualified and doesn't have to re-qualify or anything like that which i think is fair yeah um and it potentially means that there are still two spots open and like i said i think usa cycling will be revisiting and revising the qualification criteria to enable more qualification opportunities given the year-long extension yeah and um this is quite interesting from a roadie background because it would basically be like if uh one of the pro tour guys um did a top eight at one of the classics, like one of the world tour classics or like a top eight at one of the grand tours. And then, um, you know, did a certain result at the world championships. That would be kind of what it would be like. Um, so yeah, that would be a a tough ask. Um, how were you guys all pretty confident that that was something that you could do and manage and qualify for? Um, Yes and no. So, <laughs> um, the the stickiness comes in with the clause that says, "Provided you're the top American finisher." Yeah. So, as I'm sure you're aware, Kate Courtney is pretty dominant. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. So I I mean, 
she could potentially last year she swept two of the criteria because she got top eight at world championships and she was the and she won the world cup overall, overall. yeah so that was two of the criteria that she took essentially um hmm. So with that in mind, it makes it a little bit difficult because it's like, okay, not only do I have to get top eight, but I have to beat Kate. <laughs> yeah. And does that roll down? Like, is there like a roll down effect? <laughs> There's not. Oh, so gosh. we actually, um, we were all kind of confused about that because some of us thought, well, wait a second. Yeah, of course it rolls down. And some of us didn't think that. And so we actually had to get clarification um, huh. last fall and USA Cycling in there legal team said no it's not intended to roll down Whoa. yeah so oh man it gets i mean oh the the selection process and all of that is just never clear even when you think it's clear <laughs> that would be so stressful it is yeah so like you yeah because then you're like well what am i targeting then what am i work yeah uh, oh man um all right. Well, the, the political side is, uh, yeah. Um, so back in 2015, when you said that you were targeting, kind of like realized for the first time that, hey, this would be worthwhile to go for, um, what changes did you make back then to reorient towards that? Um, so I um, took a sabbatical from work. That okay. was the biggest change. Yeah. So I think starting in February of 2016, I stopped working entirely and just focused on being a bike racer and did that all the way through September, even after I didn't qualify. <laughs> yeah. I was still living the pro lifestyle and then I went back to work after that, but that was the biggest change that I made. Um, had the same coach, was on the same team, riding more or less the same equipment. That was all pretty important to me. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to keep as much consistency as I could. And I didn't really change that much regarding like training. Um, I, it's not like I trained more or differently per se. Um, I will say that I spent more time trying to recover. Yeah. That was a big, big difference. Um, and I had the ability to kind of travel a little bit more. So when it was snowing in Boulder, you know, I would make trips to warmer destinations for like short periods of time. So looking back on that, um, do you feel like that made a really big difference? Um no <laughs> <laughs> wow all right uh and that is like something that i've had to reflect on i was like okay so why didn't that work for me because it really didn't um huh. i don't think that i realized well let me take that back it did make a difference i i was a stronger athlete like my power files were were stronger um my race finishes after the Olympics were a lot better. Like that was a big milestone huh. year for me. Um, what, so that was the positive. The negative was I didn't have 
as much going on in my life without work. And so for me, I became a little bit more like obsessive about things and I was a lot more anxious and I wasn't good at balancing this new life. Um, So it actually... I think limited my performance in that way because like all of a sudden every race became so much more important and the more anxious I got about racing the the faster or the slower I went if yeah so it didn't work out for me in that way yeah I think it takes the right mind both to be a professional but then also to just live that monk life and that can be both a positive and a negative like the good on you if you're able to you know do nothing but ride your bike and and sit on the couch and uh, focus on that but I think there's a lot to be said about having that diversity and not just focusing on that and living other other avenues Um, and it's kind of like the happiness you know happiness lots goes so far um, especially when you're living it day in and day out yeah yeah exactly i think that in that in 2016 especially when i took the sabbatical from work Mm -hmm. that was like me signifying that hey i'm making a big change and i'm gonna go for it and it's all or nothing and this is my one chance and i'm putting all my cards out and that just made that just put a lot of pressure yeah. on me. And so like that goes back to the question that you asked about like, do you focus on the Olympics four years out or do you focus on the Olympics, the year of the Olympics? And it's like the more pressure you put on something, uh, I think the more anxiety and the more power you give it over you. Whereas if I can just focus on things that are a little bit shorter term, that makes it easier for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pressure does crazy things. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that you, the year after the Olympics, you had a phenomenal year. Do you think that that had partained to it a little bit? Like the pressure was now off a little bit? Actually, it was like literally the week after the Olympic team was announced. All of a sudden, I got fast. Wow. <laughs> uh. But yeah, that might be a little telling. <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, uh, and I say that because like the Olympic team was announced at the end of June, and um, that next week we had to fly out for World Championships. Mm-hmm. So it was like that was hard in some instances because I was pretty pissed off because I wasn't nominated and. Yeah. I was heartbroken and yet here I am, you know, representing team USA at world championships. And it was like, well, I'm not on the team, but you know what? I'm going to go as fast as I, I can. Like that's expletive, expletive, whatever. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's super honorable. A lot of people would have been like, you know, screw this. I'm walking away from this entirely. So that's huge. Um, and you made the day the best it was going to be. So that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I mean, that was like a breakout. I mean, I think up until then, we had had three World Cups. I had never gotten a top 20 in those World Cups, and those were like the qualifying events. And then at World Championships, I get 11th. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) wow, which is the biggest race. Right. Outside of the Olympics, yeah. Yeah, and then like a few weeks later, that was when I won national championships. And 
um, I got a few more like top top 20 top 15 World Cup finishes and so that was kind of like and it was a, an aha moment for me because that clearly showed that like okay I have my my physical game under control I yeah. need to figure out my mental game <laughs> yeah. so that perfect segue how this time around then uh, what did you learn from that? What what different changes are you making? What are you, like, you're still working, you have a job, so, yeah, what changes have you made this time? Yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, I just recognize that having a job, having something else to focus on, having some other um, avenue in which I can feel successful yeah. is really important to me. Um, so that is one thing, like, still maintaining that balance. Um and also, like, once I was able to drill down into the why I want to qualify for the Olympics, it's been a little bit easier for me to disassociate from the Olympics itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I, I'm saying that I want to qualify for the Olympics, but what does that truly mean? It means that I want to prove how good I am, and I really want to just prove it to myself. So that means that, like... I don't want to fall apart mentally. I want to feel like I can ride a technical course comfortably and I'm not losing time on the downhills. And um, so I've been able to like break that goal down into things that are easier for me to focus on. And so it's like I have trees to focus on instead of the Olympic forest, if you will. Wow, I like that. I like that. So the process, you're able yeah, to exactly. enjoy the journey. Yeah. Um, instead yeah. of just being so hyper focused on this thing at the end that you f miss everything in between. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I wish more of my athletes would be able to do that. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess then it sounds like you've done amazing work yourself. But do you do mental training at all? Um, I do. So I've been working with a sports psychologist for since 2015, actually. Cool. Um, and she's helped me to kind of like go back to the why and figure out, like break things down in a way that I need to break them down. Um, and she's also been like a positive voice when I've had self doubt. So I think mm -hmm. that that has been really helpful and like, you know, write things down when I have accomplishments and recognize things that I'm good at and stuff like that. So I'm trying to be better about that being more positive and less negative. <laughs> well, I think you're great at it. Um, so that's one key. Then um, what, so I guess stepping back to your job for a second, what is your job title or what do you, what do you do? Um, so my job title is engineering program manager. I work for a medical device company. I've been there for 14 years. Wow. I started as a mechanical engineer and then transitioned to program management. And fortunately, it's pretty funny because like when I took my sabbatical back in 2016, I completely stepped away. And when I came back, there was this project waiting for me that was the project that nobody wanted to work on. <laughs> the reject. <laughs> yeah, the reject project. And I I took it and I ran with it and it's like given me 
some like really good experience and a lot of specialized knowledge into our products that we make and different processes and stuff like that. And so now I'm in a position where I just kind of consult to other project teams and being like, well, this is how we do it. This is how we've done it before. This is what this project, this product does. These are the risks, that kind of thing. So it's, it actually set me up really well to kind of take a step back. So um, right now I'm only working 60%, so 24 hours a week. Um, and I'm kind of more in a consulting role to different project teams. So it's working out pretty well. Cool. Are you working? I mean, right now I'm assuming you're working all remotely, but is that normal? Um, are you totally online working or are you on, in office? Um, I try to be in the office two days a week um, and then remote the rest of the time. And obviously, like, I still work when I would travel for races. And so when I would do that, I would be remote, obviously. So how does, uh, what does a day in the life of Aaron Huck look like? Like, what do you, how do you juggle all this then? Well, do we want to talk like before quarantine or <laughs> during? <laughs> um, let's start with before. Let's just go with before for now. Um, so before, like I would go into the office on Mondays and Wednesdays and I would try and work pretty full days. And most of my time is just in meetings. So I would go, I would have probably about six hours worth of, of meetings wow. on each of those days. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it makes the time go by really quickly, but yeah, like <laughs> in all these meetings, I would be basically just making a list of all the things that I need to do outside of the meeting. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I would spend usually the morning, like eight until noon, um, just getting stuff done on my to-do list. Hmm. And then I will go train, go ride. Um, depending on how long and hard the ride is, I would go to the gym afterwards. And I usually take like two days a week as easy slash rest days. And for me, I don't really like to ride my bike on those days. I know a lot of people go for like easy rides, easy spins, etc. But I prefer to go for long hikes with my dog. So that's cool. what I do instead. Cool. And do you um, then segment your training around those work days? So like are your, uh, I guess, meeting days your rest days or uh, how does that work? Yeah, for the most part. Um, and obviously it's like weather dependent. Yeah. So I think that there were a few days this winter when Wednesday was the only nice day. So I would, um, on those days I would ride from work. And fortunately, like that was when I was doing intervals. So the workouts were a little bit shorter and I would just do my interval ride from work and then go back to the office for a few hours. Cool. You mentioned strength training. Um, so with your injuries, it kind of seems like strength training has been something that you've really, uh, utilized over the last couple of years. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. Um, definitely this fall. So as soon as I was given clearance to, um, start riding again, that's basically all I did. Like I did a big racing block, um, and that 
was because I had missed most of the season. So I had, I had lost a lot of UCI points um, and I wanted to try and get as many points back as I could. So from August through October, I raced a lot, um, including the, the test event in Tokyo. And then when I came back from that in October and I visited my PT, uh, he basically told me that my balance and my ankle stability looked like shit. <laughs> so, <What? laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why we work well together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had to go back to the drawing board, not the drawing board, but we had to take a step back and um, kind of do pick up a lot of the rehab that I was doing and a lot of the mobility work, like the seagull leg. Like I literally could not balance on my left foot for longer than 30 seconds um, just because those stabilizer muscles weren't working very well. Yeah. So I did a lot of that and then segued into like more actual strength training. And now I'm finally at a point where my ankle is, is strong enough that I can start incorporating more impact. So I'm doing more plyos, jump roping and running, um, just realizing how important any kind of impact is for our bone health Yeah, is my, my biggest priority. So cool. yeah, starting to do that. Cool. Very cool. Um, so you mentioned a little bit ago that you, uh, when you went on sabbatical, you were able to kind of travel to dodge weather. Um, and I think that at least a lot of my athletes really wish they had the ability to do that. Have you, do you still do a little bit of that or are you primarily just kind of flowing with the weather? Cause we have some pretty versatile weather here in Colorado and what are your, what do you do to get through these like snowstorms that we get? Um, <clears throat> so like this year and even last year, um, just, I tried to do trips like around the holidays. So a big trip down to the desert, down to like Moab mm -hmm. actually for Thanksgiving and then to Tucson for about 10 days over like Christmas slash New Year's. And that's really the extent of the traveling that I'll do. Cause I think for me, the benefit, like I travel so much during the race season that I'd rather be home as much as possible during the winter. So fortunately in Boulder, it's warm enough that we can ride most days. Otherwise I don't mind riding inside if I have to, or hiking or skiing or supplementing in, in that way. Mixing things up, keeping it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Happiness Watts, like you said. <laughs> I try and keep that installed in my athletes. Um, yeah. Is that something your coach kind of helps you with, or does your coach give you more of a freestyle nature to be able to do what you need to do? Um, he is of the mindset that the only thing that makes you faster on a bike is riding your bike, <laughs> yeah. which I think is true. Um, given the fact that if I'm mentally happy, that also makes me faster on my bike. So it's kind of like a give and take, but, yeah. um, we've definitely done intervals on the trainer because that's what has to get done. Yeah. Yeah. Doing the work and then going out and having fun, that kind of thing. Right. Um, it's, yeah, especially in Colorado with the skiing atmosphere and the resort skiing, it's it's an interesting one to <laughs> um, juggle that, <laughs> trying to get athletes to stay on point. But, yeah, I yeah. understand there's a balance. Um, yeah. 
but the fat bike is actually I've gone fat biking a few times over the winter and that is a pretty good workout so yeah. I would rather do that than <laughs> something else Then ride the trader yeah then ride <laughs> the trainer yeah and the and the dog can come with too yeah and it's skills work that's what I say it is i mean it is <laughs> it's, yeah it's hard <laughs> uh, so um all right covered on what your uh, normal day looks like but what does your season look like so going into more of the broad spectrum view of your year um in a normal year this aside we'll get into that in a bit um how what do you do to try and go qualify like are you traveling a ton are you how do you juggle that with your job like what does your season look like normally Um, yeah, I mean, I like travel is relative. I think yeah of course I feel like I travel a fair amount, um, but other people travel more. <laughs> like I don't have to live over in Europe, um, which is nice, but I definitely make, you know, a lot of international trips, but my season would look like a Basically, we have our biggest U.S. races from a UCI standpoint are in the spring. So they're usually, we have some HCs, which is the highest level below a World Cup in March and April, Sea Otter being one of them. So we have to be pretty fast pretty early. Um, and those are usually a big focus of mine. And then after that, it's Continental Championships. which are usually in South America someplace. And then it's like a few weeks at home and then the World Cup season starts. So we usually have like two back-to-back -back World Cups on like two consecutive weekends. So you fly over there, stay over there for um, two weeks or so, do the World Cups, come home, um, mix in national champs, World champs are usually in like August or September. Um, and then we have like some fun races like epic rides type stuff that are in the late fall. So the season usually goes from March until October, which Yeah. is Jeez, pretty long. that's long. Yeah. <laughs> How do you keep your motivation up through through all that? Well, I mean, for me, I've actually, so last year, 2019, I broke my ankle. And in 2018, I broke my hand. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't hard for me to be motivated because I had forced downtime in the middle of the season. And lo and behold, 2020 forced downtime. <laughs> Yeah, man, but three years in a row. I know, Uh... I know. But I mean, I think it goes back to like what we were saying earlier, just like having kind of shorter term goals, like... Yeah. There's always something to be looking forward to um, for me, like national champs is usually a big highlight and then maybe a race that's not as prestigious or serious. It's like, oh, yes, I get to do this race and it doesn't count for shit, but it's super fun. And <laughs> See something that cool. helps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that helps keep you keep you motivated. How, so what's the, the coolest place you've been to race your bike? Oh, Um, well, there's different aspects of like That's the coolest true. place, That's true. but Tokyo was pretty freaking awesome. I think because I wasn't sure what to expect. I've never been to Japan before. Um, and 
Tokyo the city was was pretty crazy but then where the venue was was actually like two hours outside of the city um was beautiful and yeah it was just a really cool experience it was so different from any other place that I have been that that was a really cool cool destination Norway has also been like one of my favorite places because <laughs> it's just beautiful yeah. um and South America, traveling to South America is always fun just because for me, like type A person, engineer, like kind of OCD, <laughs> you go to South America and it's just chaos and you just have to accept it. Like your bike might show up. It might not show up when you get your bike. You may get through customs. You may not get through customs. Like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have had a lot of fun experiences in South America. The people are so friendly and they are. it's just, again, so different than like Europe, which is where we usually race. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to get the variety. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So you've been through a lot, obviously, as we touched on in the last three years. What was the most difficult challenge that you've had to overcome? Um, definitely breaking my ankle. Um, yeah, I think a, I broke it in Germany. Um, and B I broke it on like the same course, the same freaking weekend and the same, like it was totally not a type of, it was like a tip over foot down tumble type crash uh -huh. like and I break my ankle and uh yeah just the surgeon that saw the x-ray told me that it was really really bad and it it is a really bad break like uh, the bone that I broke is is pretty bad and the prognosis for this type of break is generally not very good um so there was a lot of uncertainty as I was healing from that, like, is the bone going to die? Am I going to need a full ankle replacement? Like, how am I going to have uh, acute onset arthritis and all these, like, scary things? Yeah. So that was that was really hard. Um, at that time, I was fully invested in qualifying for the Olympics. Like, I was all gung-ho. I was targeting you know, specific races, I had really big goals and just kind of the realization that none of those are going to come to fruition was pretty devastating. And yeah, so that was really, that was pretty, a pretty low point for sure. <laughs> yeah. As it would be for anyone. Um, do you think that'll be your biggest challenge moving forward? Who knows? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, that would be sadly. <laughs> I don't want any but, more challenges. Sadly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think anyone could have predicted this. Um, so, the I guess we can go ahead and uh, stem into that then. So, with COVID occurring, um, how has everything changed for you? And um, what is the new plan? Um, the Olympics have been change to um the july 23rd through august 8th of 2021 um 
and what happens with the World Cup circuit. I know a lot's up in the air, but yeah, what is, how are you processing all this? Yeah, give me, give me it all. <laughs> um, it's been pretty interesting, and I know, like, over the past two or three years, um, we've gotten to be pretty close. And by we, I mean myself, Leah Davison, Chloe Woodruff, and Kate Courtney kind of the four people that have been chasing points and been all about like team USA. We want to send three people. We're united in this and kind of just really feeling like a team. Mm -hmm. um, we've definitely been talking amongst, you know, ourselves and we've had virtual happy hours and stuff. And I think that we've all been processing it a little bit differently, which is interesting, but I guess expected. And at first I didn't know what to think. Um, I didn't, I've just felt kind of numb to it. It's like, okay, so they've rescheduled the Olympics. I don't know what that means for yeah. me. <laughs> um, I was really hoping they were going to reschedule it for this fall. Um, and I don't know why necessarily, I guess just kind of like, it's hard to believe that COVID has had the impact that it has had. And on that point, I'm seeing the impacts in other areas outside of sport life, you know, like my boyfriend is furloughed and we're just questioning, like some of my sponsors can't pay me anymore. So it's like all of a sudden racing becomes kind of a secondary thought. Yeah. Um, so that's one side. And then the other side is it is a motivated thing or motivating thing. It is something that we've, you know, that I've dedicated, you know, my present life to. Um, so I don't know how to answer your question, I guess. Right. It sounds like you're, I mean, as you should be, I think we're all still processing this. Um, and we have, no one really knows what it's going to bring. Um, I guess what, have you been doing with your training then lately? Um, so I've been basically, I think the reality is that we won't be racing anytime soon. Yeah. So once that was like, once I made that decision, like, okay, let's just face facts. I'm not going to be racing anytime soon. Best case, July, August, and that's like absolute best case. So that means that I have some time to chill out, treat this like an off season. Um, I'm actually getting kind of excited about the fact that UCI is pretty adamant that they will be rescheduling races. Cool. So to whatever extent possible, they're going to be having world championships and they're going to be having world cups. And that probably means that we're going to be racing like world champs in September or October, maybe even later. And it just extends the season. So I actually am starting to get a little bit more motivated Great. Great. <laughs> because it's like, okay, let's say that we start racing in August and we still have some world cups and we still have world champs. And then for me, that means that, there are potentially more opportunities for me to qualify for the Olympics. So prior to this, I only had one chance, one, one race. Wow. 
hopefully if there are more World Cups that happen this year, I'll have more opportunities to basically just demonstrate, prove to myself what I'm capable of. So it's like, okay, it doesn't really change anything for me as long as there is racing that happens this year. It just means that I might have more opportunities to qualify and World Cups hopefully are still going to happen and like I still get a chance hopefully to see what I can do yeah I think it's been at least with my athletes it's been interesting to watch them because more or less it's a really really big high for motivation at the beginning of the year and that's ramping 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 and I would say uh right around this time is when people kind of hit their pinnacle within that either that or now or over the next couple of months and um, basically to have to slam on the brakes and come to a complete halt and uh, try and postpone that has been an interesting thing for, I think, most athletes to comprehend or figure out. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, where we are, we can still ride. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty pumped because I'm starting to play around with, like, different equipment. So I've got different wheels, I'm trying some different tires, I'm trying different like bike geometries and just kind of having more fun with stuff than I would normally be able to do this time of year. Hmm. And that's, I guess, my my focus right now is to just have as much fun as I can, given the situation. (laughs) Yeah, and take take advantage of it in a way, like have really hone in and uh, when you're normally running around all these different events or things... um, let step back and and refocus a bit that's super cool yeah yeah what what else other than equipment have you been uh i guess giving yourself time to do um well so um to take a step back so i can answer that question i started with a new coach um last year and he is like very scientific guy, but very like coaches by feel, which is kind of like oxymoron type thing. But any, like we both agree that in order to like be fast at the world cup level, I need to work on basically my, my power at VO two max and short repeatable type high intensity power. Um, which means that that's what we've been focusing more on in my training. Mm -hmm. And in the past, most of my training has been rides where I go as hard as I can go for about four hours. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. Those are my jams. (laughs) Those are my my favorite rides. And my coach now just calls them my medium hard rides. And like, Uh, I used to love those, but he doesn't let me do them because they're not really making me faster. But now I can do those all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You're back to your old ways in that way. Yeah, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to play on my bike, test some equipment, go medium hard (laughs) all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I think um, so my boyfriend and I are trying to come up with like different challenges so last weekend he wanted to climb 10,000 feet so we did a road ride and we climbed 10,000 feet this weekend my challenge is to ride some new gravel roads that we've never ridden before so I've put together a route um, to get us to some new roads and just kind of trying to come up with different types of goals to spice things up yeah to push yourself and 
yeah, give yourself goals in general. Man, Andrew is a good quarantine buddy for sure. I know. Yeah, I lucked out. <laughs> yeah. I won the quarantine lottery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and a dog to go on. Yeah. Uh, your rides no, with I'm... you. Yeah. yeah, silver linings are all over the place. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, well, thank you, Aaron. This has been great. Um, I learned quite a bit, and I, I hope everyone gra grabbed a few bits and pieces from it, which I'm sure they did. Um, so thank you on this Friday evening for taking some time with me. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to talk. Great. Um, so we will see how all of this plays out, and then... Um, I'll be watching and everyone else can follow your follow your year, whatever that ends up being with uh, the virus and everything. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to have you back and, and talk uh, a little bit later on. But yeah, have a wonderful, wonderful Friday. All right. Thanks, Isaiah.